0: Well, welcome everyone to Challenge. We're going to start a new series tonight. Uh, The series is called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And at the heart of this series is the truth, the humbling truth, I think, that our entire lives are dependent on the grace of God. You are dependent on God for every single thing in your life, every single thing. It's a couple verses here from Scripture that show us that. Psalm 3, 5, I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. You woke up because of the grace of God this morning. John 15, 5. I am the vine. Jesus is saying this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, we are dependent on God for absolutely everything in our lives. We just finished a series the last three weeks all about our purpose, right, and how God has charged us with the great mandate, the great commandment, and the great commission. Hopefully, after that, you have realized that you know, God wants to do some things through your life. He has purpose for each and every one of us. But the truth is, you do not have the ability to do that alone. We need God's help. We need God's grace if we are to to do anything, as John 15, 5 says. Now, typically, when we think about the grace of God, we think about forgiveness from sins, right? We think of verses like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And of course, we need God's grace to be saved from our sin. We cannot earn that. But we also need his continual grace in our lives, even after we turn to Jesus and away from sin. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is giving kind of a testimony of, of his life, and, and he says this in verse 10, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So we see here Paul, this, this great man of the Bible, right? a, a hero of the faith, some might say, but Paul is acutely aware that the only reason he has been able to do anything in his life is the, the grace of God. And I think what is also interesting in this verse is Paul's response to that grace. He doesn't just sit back and do nothing, rather, in response to the grace of God, he works hard. He puts in effort. There's this interesting duality there. You cannot earn the grace of God. It is a free gift that he gives to us. You can't force him to give it to you. He gives it as he wills and as he chooses. You can, however, put in the effort to grow in your faith and live a life that is pleasing to him in response to his grace in your life. Grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn it, but it's not opposed to effort. It's kind of like getting a suntan. You know, I don't have the power to give myself a suntan. I can rub my arms, nothing's going to happen. The sun gives me a suntan. So while I cannot give myself a tan, I can certainly do things in my life to better expose me to the thing that might give me a tan, where I can go outside, lay out on the beach and things like that. It's not a perfect analogy, but the idea is kind of the same with God. You cannot earn God's grace. He chooses to give it as he wills. You can, however, get different habits into your life that expose you more and more and more to the thing, the source of the grace, God himself. He's opposed to earning grace. We can't earn it, but he's not opposed to our effort in growing in our faith. He draws near to those who draw near to him. So over the next few weeks in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at these different habits that we can get into our life to better expose ourselves to the grace of God. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives us this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now a yoke there is what they would use to keep oxen together as they plowed a field or or did something else. So what Jesus is saying here is we abandon our yoke in life, the things that we want to accomplish, our way of living, our dreams, all that kind of stuff. And instead, we take on Jesus' yoke. That is the invitation. We come alongside him and what he is trying to do in the world, the great mandate, the great commandment, the great commission, as we talked about the last three weeks. And in doing so, first, we find that we're a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, right? God's purpose for us is much bigger than anything we can think of on our own. We also find that the burden is lightened, for we are pulling with Jesus, we have his help, we have his grace, we can do nothing apart from that. So these habits, these rhythms, will help you to better yoke with Jesus, to better expose yourself more and more to the source of grace, God himself. So tonight, to start the series, we're gonna be taking a look at reading and meditating on the word of God. I'm sure everyone here is probably in a different place with reading and meditating on the scriptures. Some of you may read the Bible every single day, Others maybe here and there, maybe not much at all. Some treat the Bible like it's good advice but optional. You're college students, you know what optional reading is all about. Maybe it's antiquated, old-fashioned. We all have different ideas probably coming in tonight. So to set the foundation for this habit, first we're going to take a look at what is true about Scripture itself. If we really want to get into the habit of reading and meditating on the Word, well, we need to have a right understanding of what Scripture really is and have a right attitude towards it. So what is true about the Bible? Well, there's four different attributes that describe scripture. The first one is the authority of scripture. The authority of scripture. All words of scripture are God's words. God sovereignly ordained every single word of it. You know, humans wrote it down physically, but God directed that every single word. And so, the authority of scripture means to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is the same as disbelieving or disobeying God himself. Scripture has authority in our lives. Here's a couple of verses that talk about that. First, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, every single word, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1.20-21, 20 knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God is the one who wrote Scripture. Every single word of it has authority. And if we believe this, what follows is that Scripture is inerrant. It has no mistakes. Why do we believe that? Well, because God doesn't lie, He cannot lie. God always tells the truth. And if all Scripture is God-breathed, we know that every single bit of it is true. See this, for example, in Proverbs 30 verse 5 every word of god proves true he is a shield to those who take refuge in him god's word is the ultimate standard of truth for us nothing will ever be discovered no scientific discovery will ever disprove something that is told to us in the scripture it's not outdated or outthink or you know antiquated in its thinking rather it's it's our thinking that needs to change because these are the words of god and they carry authority they are all true so first we see the authority of scripture That should shape our approach to the Bible. The second is the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. Now, this doesn't mean that every bit of Scripture is easy to understand. If you've ever read you know, books like Revelation or certain prophets in the Old Testament, you see there are some challenging passages in there. But what the clarity of Scripture means is that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by ordinary, everyday believers just like us who read it seeking God's help. Um, Here's a couple of verses that talk about that. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Even the simple, uneducated people can benefit from reading the scripture. It has clarity. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, the Israelites are encouraged and commanded actually to teach this to their children. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down when you rise. Even children can understand the core truths of the scripture. It has clarity. You don't need a theological degree. You don't have to go through a scholar or a pastor. Can you still learn from scholars and pastors? Of course, and you ought to listen to good Bible teachers and, and, and learn from them. But the idea is you can open the Bible for yourselves. Every single person here can open it for yourselves and read it for yourself and understand what God is communicating through the Scripture. You see, it's not our intellectual ability that determines our ability to understand the Bible. It's our spiritual posture before God. There's a couple other verses about that, John 7, 17. If anyone's will, Jesus is saying this, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. See, those who desire to do God's will get understanding into the truth. Then 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, we need God's help. We need God's grace to understand Scripture. But for those who read the Scripture with the heart seeking God's help and a desire to to follow it and put it into practice, not just read it for, for head knowledge. God generally grants understanding. Now, he can choose to give understanding, right? We can't force him to give understanding, it's his grace. But generally, he chooses to grant that. We need his grace to interpret the Bible correctly, but it has clarity. Ordinary, everyday people can understand it. So we have the authoritative word of God. Totally true, totally true. But it is not obscured from us, it's available. us with a humble, teachable heart that relies on the help of God, we can understand it. The Bible has clarity. The third attribute of Scripture is the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture contains all the words of God that we need for salvation, for trusting in Him perfectly, and obeying Him perfectly. We have everything that God desires for us to know in the Bible. If you want to know the will of God for your life, you can find it in Scripture. Everything God wants you to know is in there. There's not some other text that we need to find, you know, that's hidden to history. We don't need to consult any extra biblical tradition. Everything that God has said on any topic can be found in the Bible, it is sufficient. In Revelations 22, the very end of the Bible, says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If you've read Revelation, you know that is not a good thing. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. See, there's nothing to be added to Scripture. There's nothing to be taken away. It is sufficient. This, of course, applies directly to Revelation, but the principle extends to all of Scripture. It is complete. Now, it doesn't mean that the Bible is comprehensive and tells us every single fact that is known about everything. Um, If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 29, it says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So there are things that God knows that he has not revealed to us, and that is his right as God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are things that God does not want us to know, and that is okay. We can be content and secure knowing that everything that God does want us to know in order to live a life pleasing to him is revealed to us in the Bible. So there's authoritative truth. We have it. Absolute truth. But it's also understandable truth, and it's complete. It's all we need to know in order to live a life pleasing to God. So if we are genuinely seeking to know how to please God with our lives in a certain situation, we can confidently go to the Bible and trust God that there's an answer in there somewhere. And then the last um, characteristic of the scripture is the necessity of scripture, the necessity of scripture. We need the word of God. Now, if we didn't have the Bible, we would still know that there is a God. You, know, you can see verses like Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So we see in creation, right, intent and design. So we would still know that there is some type of God out there. You would also know something about God's moral character and his moral laws. If you wanna know more about that, you can read Romans chapter one. All of that is called general revelation, but we would not know the gospel. We would not know about Jesus. We wouldn't know the specifics of what God requires of us. And that's what's called special revelation. We need the Bible to know about these things. God has chosen to use scripture to tell us about all these different things. We also need the Bible to grow in maturity as believers, as Christians. For example, in Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We get life through Scripture. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, which is referring to the truth of the Bible and the gospel, that by it you may grow up into salvation. We need the Scripture to mature as believers. And so when you put all these four attributes together, it's just an incredible picture, I think, of what the Bible really is. There is absolute truth, and it's something that is necessary for us to know in order to live a life pleasing to God, in order to be saved, in order to, be, in order to grow in maturity and obey what God has for us. But God hasn't hidden that from us. He hasn't left it incomplete. Rather, he has made it available in full and understandable to all who approach with a humble heart. That is the grace of God. The Bible is a gift. I praise God that we have this, this scripture and this understanding of what he wants and what he desires. So if you find yourself struggling to read the Bible or feeling like it's not quite relevant to your life, you know, remind yourself of the true, the truth. It is authoritative in your life. It is clear and sufficient, and you need it, as do I, as do us all. So we need to read and meditate on the Bible in order to live a life pleasing to God. It's not optional. Understanding these attributes of Scripture and how they work together, I think, leads us to have the proper attitude towards reading it. I think there's a great picture of this in Psalm 119. This could be a longer passage, but just take a look at how the psalmist approaches the Scripture and his, his attitude toward the Scripture. Starting in verse 9, how, could a young, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So you can see in there, right, it's a a true desire to engage with the scripture. My whole heart, it says there, I seek you. Delight in the word of God as much as in all riches. Have you ever fantasized about winning the lottery? I I certainly have. Um, I would be so excited. That is how this person is approaching the word of God. It delights him as much as all riches. You see, this, this person's goal in reading the Bible is not checking off some box or making a staff member happy. Right? This person's goal is getting to know God, the one who created him. This person's goal is, is living a life pleasing to God. Why does he have this attitude? Because he understands what scripture really is. It's not just some random book. Right? It is the authoritative, clear, sufficient truth that is necessary for all of us. Reading the Bible isn't some chore. It's a privilege that we have as believers. It's not optional for us. It's a precious gift. So that's why we have this this approach, we desire it above riches, we exert effort to seek it out and get it into our lives and store it up in our hearts. I'm not saying here that you manufacture these feelings, you don't force it, but really what it is, it's just just a natural reaction coming from the proper perspective and what the Bible actually is and how gracious God is to, to give it to us. I think another interesting thing you see here in Psalm 119 is just the interplay between grace and effort. Right, the psalmist, he meditates on the word. He memorizes the word. He seeks it out. He is exerting effort to expose himself to the scripture, but he also is relying on God for understanding. Teach me, right? Verse 18, open my eyes. He relies on God to help him walk in this in obedience. Let me not wander. Deal bountifully with me that I may live and keep your word. And for us, it's the same thing. In order for us to get the truth of the scripture in our lives, we need the grace of God number one. We need the understanding that only he can provide. But as I said before, God is gracious and wants us to understand this. That's why he gave us the Bible in the first place. So then it is up to us to exert effort and seek the word out to get this habit of, of consistently reading the Bible and meditating on it into our lives and taking that seriously. So what then does that look like? How can you put this into practice and actually start getting the Bible into your life? Well, something that we like to talk about here in Christian Challenge is the quiet time. It's a daily time that you set aside in your schedule to read and engage with the scriptures by yourself. And so what I want to do tonight is just walk you through step-by-step how to have a quiet time and some tips that have been helpful for me as I've been learning to do this over the past, whatever, 13 years or so. The first step of having a quiet time is get it into your schedule. Get it into your schedule. If something's not on your schedule, it's not going to be in your life. You know, Many times in college, I intended to have a quiet time and didn't because you know I got busy. Classes were a little more demanding than I thought. Homework took a little longer than expected. YouTube was a little more interesting than I thought. And so eventually, the day was over, and I went to sleep. And maybe I'll read the Bible tomorrow intending to do that but never actually doing it. So, what I would encourage you to do is block out dedicated time in your schedule that is specifically for getting time in Scripture. How much time should you block out? Well, I would actually be careful with that question. You know, the goal is not to reach some minimum time to, to check a box or anything like that. The goal is to build a habit in your life that will daily expose you to the Word of God. Remember, it's not about earning, we can't earn the grace of God. God doesn't say, well, if you read for 30 minutes, then you magically unlock my grace. That's not what this is. About um, it's about the posture of your heart. There's not a verse about that. i might be surprised. I would much rather you know you read for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and actually really engage with the scripture, taking it seriously, thinking about how does this apply to my life, than read it for hours and hours and just walk away with nothing, not intending to do anything. So don't worry so much about the time. Worry about the quality. Worry about the quality. And what I've seen is the better the quality, the more and more time I desire to spend. Because I think, wow, this, this <laughs> really is real. This really is helpful, necessary, clear, sufficient, authoritative. And I desire to spend more and more time. So if you're just starting out, I would suggest block off 30 minutes and just see how it goes. You can always adjust that later. All right, but before you go to sleep tonight, block out 30 minutes on your schedule tomorrow where you will read the Bible and have nothing else planned. Now, a tip here on scheduling your time, make it your best time. If you're not a morning person, don't try 6 a.m. You're not gonna be awake. You know, Some people like reading the Bible in the morning because they like to start their day off with a reminder of truth and, and, and being focused on God. But you know what, if it's better for you to do another time, do that instead. The point is that you're actually engaging with the scripture and getting it in your life. For me in college, the best times that I had doing quiet time were in the middle of the day because I usually had breaks in my schedule, like an hour break between classes not enough time to go home to Bonsalo, so I would just stay on campus and use that as my quiet time for that hour. I knew every single day, this is when I'm going to read the Bible, and I was very consistent with that. So, you see, if you truly understand what the Bible is, it's authoritative, it's clear, it's efficient, it's necessary, you will prioritize this in your schedule. You know, when midterm season comes up, you will realize this is more important. When things are busy, when YouTube is very, very fascinating, this is more important than any of that. So step one to having a quiet time, schedule it. Get it into your schedule before you go to bed tonight. Make sure you have it somewhere in your schedule so that you'll do it tomorrow. Step two is find a place where you can focus. It's called a quiet time because the idea is that it should be a time focused on God, not a time of distractions. There's this interesting verse in Mark chapter 135. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I was reading this. A few months ago, and I just asked the question myself, what would a desolate place look like for me? And Jesus did this because he wanted to focus on on praying, right? And the same is true for us as we engage with the scripture. How do you create a desolate place? Maybe it's a place without your phone or computer, no internet access right? on an airplane somewhere maybe, somewhere where you won't run into friends, you, you someplace where you will not be distracted. For me, my desolate place is, is at home, um, but my phone is in the other room and my sliding glass door is closed because our neighbors can be kind of noisy in the morning. And that's distracting to me. That's what my desolate place is. But find a place where you can focus on the Bible and read it without interruption. Without interruption so that the time you scheduled is actually spent on reading the Bible and not other things. Maybe you have to leave your apartment or your dorm because it's too distracting there. Step three is pray. Before you read the scripture, pray. As you recall, we need to approach the scripture with the right heart. It's a heart that trusts God, that trusts God's word is authority, and it's clear, sufficient, necessary. It's a heart that realizes we need God's grace to understand it and apply it in our lives. So take some time before you start reading to come before God in prayer and get a right heart, asking for his help to interpret things correctly and, and apply them and seeing areas where you can apply it step three, pray. Step four is read it. Now, when you read it, what I would suggest is having a plan on what you're going to read. When I first started, I just read a chapter every day from the New Testament, starting in Matthew and reading all the way through. That's what I did. I don't remember how long it took, I don't remember how many chapters there are, but that was my plan. So if you're new to this, I would, I would suggest you start there. Just read straight through the Gospels a chapter a day, and then just keep going. And for those of you who have been doing this a little longer, I would recommend trying out a Bible in a year plan or maybe a a Bible in a two year plan. They have those as well. Remember, um, all Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is useful. So we want to be reading all of Scripture, not just our favorite parts over and over again. And you can definitely study your favorite parts over and over again, but it's important to read everything so that we can see the whole counsel of God's word. So, you know, I I would suggest you try that. If that's too much, just try reading somewhere where you haven't read before, a book you haven't explored yet. But have a plan so you're not just flipping through to a random page every day. That's not as helpful. It's more helpful to have a plan. And then as you read, go through this process. First, take time to observe. Observe. Read the passage and make a list of observations. What is mentioned in the passage? What words are being used? Is something repeated? Emphasize that's probably important to take note of that. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? Is there cause and effect relationships going on? Make a list of observations of what you see in the scripture, and after that, interpret what does this mean based on these observations? What does this mean? It's really important to understand the context of a passage, that's something you should know. As you've done your observation, they'll help you interpret it. But is this teaching you something about God? Is it teaching you something about people? Now remember, in interpretation, we need God's help. We need God's help. He gives us spiritual understanding. So keep praying for understanding and insight as you go through this. If there's something you don't understand, ask God to help you take your time, slow down, and think about it a little more. Remember, the clarity of Scripture. Hopefully that is encouraging to you. God wants to give us understanding. So interpret And then the last is application, right? We don't read the Bible for head knowledge. We read it so that we can put it into practice. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12 says this about scripture. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the scripture is able to pierce through our hearts and pinpoint the hardness of our hearts in different areas, the areas where we are not wanting to walk with God or where we're off, where we're falling short. And so when we encounter those areas, we don't ignore it. We don't brush past it. Rather, we want to act. We want to put this into practice. That's the point. That is the gift of the scripture, not just that we know the truth. We can actually live in the truth and put it into practice. If you're looking for a good just framework of different questions to ask, uh, application questions to ask as you're reading the scripture. There's this um, acrostic Space Pets. Um, it's a funny name, uh, but it works. So is there a sin to confess, right? Is scripture pointing out some confused faces on Space Pets? Um, is there a sin to confess, right? Is there an area that here God says we ought to be doing something and I'm not doing that and I need to bring that before God? Is there a promise to claim, something that God says is true? If we do something, is there something to claim there? Is there an attitude to change? Are we grumbling and complaining? God wants us to change that. A command to obey, an example to follow, a prayer to pray, error to avoid, truth to believe, something to praise God for. There's just a start, right? But you ask yourself as you're reading the scripture, okay, what do I need to do as a result of this? The point of the Bible is not just to read it, it's to follow it. You know, I think a helpful tip as you're reading the scripture is to have, have a pen and paper nearby where you can be writing down these things, journaling, taking notes, writing down your, uh, your application. You know, I've noticed that that helps me, one, slow down and process more what I'm thinking and what I'm reading if I'm writing things down. Um, and also, I think I have the added benefit of being able to look back over the years and see all the different things that God has taught me and all the different ways he has been faithful and all the different ways he's shown that while well, this Bible actually is true actually does make a difference. So that's step four, read the Bible. And step five, the last step is continually meditate on it and apply it in your life. And I think this is where we flounder the most, right? Anyone can read the Bible. Anyone can read the Bible, but we've all been in situations where someone says, hey, what has God been teaching you lately? You have no idea, right? Just tumbleweeds up there. The idea is that Not that, you know, when the event on your calendar is over, you stop thinking about the Bible. That's not the point, right? The Bible is necessary for all of life, not just 30 minutes a day. We want to be meditating on the Word of God throughout the day, not meditation in the sense of emptying our minds of everything, but in the sense of filling our minds with the truth of the Scripture, immersing ourselves in the scripture. Just like when you have a big exam or a paper due, you immerse yourself in that topic. Midterms are coming up. You are immersed in certain subjects right now. It should be the same thing with the most important thing in our lives, our relationship with God, the truth of the Bible. Again, remember what the scripture actually is. It's authoritative, clear, sufficient, and necessary for our lives. So we ought to immerse ourselves in it, be thinking about it throughout the day mulling it over in our minds. So what I would suggest for you to do is place things in your life that help you do that. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you have a Bible verse on your uh, phone background. Maybe you reread your notes that you took during quiet time later in the day. Maybe you talk about it with friends in fellowship. That's a great way to rehearse truth and think about it more. Memorizing Bible verses is another great way to meditate on it throughout your day. But figure out things in your life where you can be constantly going over scripture in your mind. It is true. We want to know it. You can even read the Bible multiple times a day, right? But immerse yourself in it is the idea. And then, of course, the last thing, actually applying it, putting it into practice, doing what it says. In James chapter 1, James writes this, starting in verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what does this analogy of the mirror mean? Well, what is a mirror's job? A mirror's job is to show you reality. Right? It shows you reality. It doesn't matter how you want to look, what you think you look like. A mirror will show you the truth. And that actually is a really great blessing for us. right? Because if we know what we look like, we can make changes. I need to comb my hair or get this food out from between my teeth. If we didn't know the truth, we wouldn't be able to do that. So the mirror is quite a blessing in our lives. And the same is true with the word of God. It is the truth. God has revealed reality to us through the scriptures. Right? It reveals the greatness of God, It reveals our sin and how we fall short. It also reveals the hope of Jesus Christ that there is forgiveness for our sin if we repent and turn to follow Christ, we can be transformed, our minds can be renewed, we can actually walk in a way that is pleasing to God. But if you just read that and do nothing, you know as it says here you forget what you look like, you forget reality and do nothing about it, you just you won't grow nothing will Change, the the grace that the mirror has given you, that reality, exposing reality has given you, will be um, all for naught. So that that is the choice that lays before us all tonight. God in his grace has given us the scripture, this precious gift of the truth. Right? The absolute and necessary truth is available to us clearly and completely. We know all of it. He has revealed reality to us, and God's desire is to use the scripture in your life to transform you so that you can live a life that is pleasing to him. it's very gracious and kind of him to do that. He didn't have to reveal that to us, but we all need to decide, will we actually take this seriously? Will we actually get into the habit, get into the rhythm of daily seeking him through the scriptures, immersing ourselves in the truth that he has revealed, and then putting it into action? Or are we just gonna walk away forgetting reality and ignoring it altogether? So I encourage you tonight, get get this rhythm into your life. And I think what you see in verse 25 here about persevering, right? is being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. I think you will find how much of a blessing the word is when you actually apply it. You can see the difference that God makes in a life. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that we have the scripture. Thank you so much that you um, chose to reveal yourself to us, reveal Jesus to us, reveal truth to us that we may know that we all have fallen short, but there is forgiveness and redemption there for us. So I pray, God, I know there's many people in this room and they're all in different places. You know each and every one of our hearts and where we stand right now with, with you and with the scripture. I pray, God, that you would help us all by your grace to take the next step I pray that you would give us all understanding into your word. I pray that you would, God, by your grace, help us to apply it in our lives. I pray as a result we would see you know, truly how great and how wonderful you are and how how fortunate we are to have the word of God. So thank you so much, God, for this for this gift and for your grace. We love you so much in your name. Amen.